welcome to Mill City. We're so glad that you're here. We're, um, we're starting a new conversation today, so I'm excited about it. And hello, sir. And um, so let's pray before we get started. Would you join me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this opportunity to be here in this place, to be in this public school where we get to worship you freely. We don't take that for granted. That's not the case for people around the world. And so we thank you that we can be here worshiping you and coming together as community and reminding ourselves what it means to be people after your heart. And I pray that uh, you would be with each person today, that you would speak to each of us. And God, we pray a special blessing over this school this week, God, as they finish these last few days of school. God, we pray for stamina and energy. We pray that the kids would be able to focus even though it's warm in here. God, we ask that you would be present in this place and it would make a difference. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to be served by this school and to, to share this space with them. I'll be with us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so we're starting a new conversation called The Art of Neighboring. The Art of Neighboring. So you can see we've got it written all over behind me, so that's cool. And uh, it's actually based off of a book. Uh, generally speaking, we're kind of taking some things from a book by the same name, which is exciting, and it's going to be what the class that we're going to have on The Art of Neighboring is going to be based on this book. But let me just give you kind of an overview. This is a, a, a conversation focused on what has been come to be known as the two great commandments. Jesus expressing that there's no greater commandments than to love God and love your neighbor. There's no greater commandments than to love God and love your neighbor. So this conversation is going to explore over these next few weeks this question. What if Jesus meant we were supposed to love our actual neighbors? Okay, this question we're asking. Uh, Almost every summer here at Mill City, some of you have been with us for years and some of you, you're just joining us. Almost every summer we talk about this because it is so central and so core to our mission as a church. Uh, It's also really easy to talk about it in the summer just because it's easier to meet people in the summer because of Minnesota weather. And so that's one of the reasons, especially when we're talking about the neighborhoods that we live in. Um, But it's core to our mission. Our mission here at Mill City is to love our community in the name of Jesus. And we can't live out our mission if we're not constantly and consistently growing in the art of neighboring. So this is not something that you figure out and check off a list. It's something that you consistently grow in. We're all growing in the art of neighboring, just being encouraged to grow from where we are at to the next spot for us. So uh, we're going to define neighbor for this conversation in a specific way. It's a really big term, but for what we're talking about in the art of neighboring, I'll put a slide up here. This is what we're saying. A neighbor is the people, neighbors are, the people that you spend much of your time around. Specifically, where you live, work, learn, or recreate. So, recreate. So, the time, the space that you, where you play. Okay? This is what we're defining as a neighbor. Uh, so, when we ask the question over community time, what is your neighborhood like? Most of you probably thought about the place that you live. And that's totally normal and totally fine. But you could also think about the places where you work or other places that you spend a lot of time. In fact, sociologists are starting to call the workplace the new neighborhood. I don't know if anybody's read about this, but because people are spending so much time at work and because some of the dynamics of the workplace are shifting over the last 20, 25 years, uh, it's kind of becoming a neighborhood within a bunch of neighbors that live in different places. Um, So you might think of your school. Some of you spend most of your time at school, learning in some space. And you can also think of the places that you recreate, so the places you play. Uh, maybe coffee shops you go to or spaces that you, you're a part of a, a softball league or something like that. Uh, that is a, also a neighborhood for you. So I actually just recently moved into a new neighborhood as far as where I live, okay? And so uh, I've talked about my neighborhood a little bit. It was only about a year ago that I moved there. And so I'm experiencing what it feels like to start over, 
to move into a new neighborhood and figure out what it looks like to do the art of neighboring in this place. And so uh, maybe some of you remember me talking about my neighborhood before. It's the neighborhood that is where the Mill City Commons is. And so northeast Minneapolis is split into 13 smaller neighborhoods. And that neighborhood is called Marshall Terrace, the Marshall Terrace neighborhood, a couple miles from here this way. And our, one of the first things I learned about Marshall Terrace neighborhood is the name of the neighborhood association. Okay, the name of the na- neighborhood association is the Concerned Citizens of Marshall Terrace. Now, that's not normal. It's usually just called the Marshall Terrace Neighborhood Association. To my knowledge, none of the rest of them are concerned in the title of their group, okay? Now, the truth about these neighbors so far is that they, they are concerned, okay? They have concerns. And um, there's a lot of concerns, and I won't, I won't tell you all of them, but if there's no, you know, really pressing concern, then they have one very specific concern that is often mentioned. And Dan, you guys live, Dan, you guys know about this. It's the feral cats problem. Yeah, see, they're nodding. I was like, what, what is that? I didn't know what that was. Apparently, it's like a cat that isn't totally, how, like, they're not domesticated. Anyway, they're, they're apparently wreaking havoc in Marshall Terrace, all right? And I'm going, I don't even, like, I don't even know what that is. I've seen maybe a few cats, but I'm thinking they're someone's pet. So I'm like washing my dishes a few months after I move in, and I'm looking out the window in my backyard, and my dog's just prancing around, and all of a sudden he just freaks out. Like, he just freaks. And I look, and there's a cat walking on the top of the, of the um, fence, and a big one, and he's looking down at my dog. And as I look out, I see this cat just jump at my dog, jump off of my dog's back, and run out of our yard, and my dog's just losing his mind. And I'm pretty sure that that cat, my dog's 50 pounds, but that cat could have taken him. Like, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, the feral cat problem. I'm, I'm concerned now too. Like, I'm feeling like concerned about the cats. And so uh, I, I joined, whenever I've moved to a new neighborhood now, uh, I joined this thing called the Next Door uh, community. Have you guys heard of this? So next door is kind of like a private Facebook group type thing for the people that live in the same neighborhood. So I'm on the next door community for Marshall Terrace um, where the, cons- the citizens are concerned. And so uh, every day you get an email or every couple days you get an email with some headlines, okay? And I don't read all of them, I confess. But here's some of them from last week. Paintball vandalism, okay? They're concerned about this. That's all it says, just paintball vandalism. 2 a.m. knocking, with five exclamation points. Somebody was knocking at 2 a.m.? I don't know. Cat, comma, in yard now. Uh, This one was great. Fence jumping dog, five exclamation points. A lot of exclamation points and a lot of bold, all caps. Um, Fraudulent activity. And then runaway cat, again. All right, so these are all these things. And as I was moving into the neighborhood... These are the headlines that I would always notice. And I think it's because I got in my head this kind of deficit mentality towards my neighborhood because of the negative name of the Neighborhood Association. And you might say, well, that's not very fair, but I didn't do that on purpose. I just kind of felt like, oh, man, watch out. Everybody's concerned. I don't want them to be concerned about me and all this stuff. But what's happened over this last year is I've begun to spend more time with these folks, of course. I've gotten to know some of my neighbors. I've even gone to some of the meetings of the concerned citizens of Marshall Terrace. And yes... At the meetings, they are a little bit concerned, okay? Now, I've been to other neighborhood association meetings. They're also concerned. Um, But they're also really excited, actually. 
They're excited about the things that are happening in Marshall Terrace neighborhood. There's a new Claire housing facility opening in our neighborhood. That's for people who are at the poverty level who have HIV AIDS. That's a big deal. They're so excited about that. And the other day I went to the meeting and we were talking a little bit about the Mill City Commons and they are so excited to have us be in Marshall Terrace. So they're not just concerned. They could be the excited, the excited neighbors of Marshall Terrace. That could actually be their name, the excited citizens. I'm going to propose that at the next meeting and see what happens. But there's also, even now that I have a more of like an asset-based look at my neighborhood, I notice different things on the next door community. I'm noticing things like, I wrote these down, kombucha advice. That's nice, sharing kombucha advice. Free hostas. Someone's giving away hostas. That's not necessarily that generous since they multiply so quickly, but that's a big deal. Um, somebody was repping a experience with an, air, an AC repair company that went really great and they recommended them. And there was an event being listed to support immigrants in our community. There's actually a ton of assets listed. But you could see how my kind of deficit mentality was causing me to notice different things. And now I'm starting to notice the assets of my neighborhood. But it's really hard to move into a new neighborhood and get to know new people. How many of you have moved in the last three years? Yes, look at that. Look how many people are feeling that sense of, I'm kind of starting over and getting to know people. How many of you have moved twice in the last three years? All right, just hug those people later because that's a lot. So I get, I get this. Like, I feel the tension of, man, this is hard. We have to meet new people all the time. But as I'm kind of mustering up the courage to love these neighbors, this question kind of plays over and over in my mind. What if Jesus wants us to love our actual neighbors? What if Jesus wants us to love our actual neighbors? What if that's what he meant? The story where Jesus expresses the, the great commandments is actually found in three of the Gospels that are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, these three Gospels have a lot of the same stories, but it's really interesting because the authors kind of bring out different things. And so I want to look at the Mark 12 version of Jesus talking about these two great commandments. Um, sometimes the story is a little different, and I think the author is just trying to, to bring up different things and kind of point different things out. And so let's look at the Mark 12. 12 version, if you have a Bible, it'll be up here on the screen. Let me kind of preface for you what's happening. Jesus is uh, traveling around, and he's approached by some religious leaders, okay? These uh, scribes, teachers of the law, these folks who spend most of their life figuring out how to make sure everybody's doing things right religiously, okay? And in this story in Mark 12, right before the one I'm going to read, uh, these different groups have been approaching him. So first the Pharisees approach him, and then the Sadducees approach him, uh, and basically, that just those groups of people, they have labeled themselves Pharisees and Sadducees because they think of themselves as not only the religious leaders, but like the elite of the religious leaders. They are the most elite. They are separatists. They're like, we're almost so elite, we can't even like be around normal people. This is the kind of folks that they are. So they're coming to approach Jesus. And the reason they're doing that is because they're threatened by Jesus. So let's think about that for a minute. Why are they so threatened by Jesus? Well, Jesus is teaching these new things. And people are beginning to follow him. They're beginning to be influenced by what he's saying. They're beginning to see him as a religious leader. And guess what happens if, somebody, if people are following that guy, who are they not following? Those guys, right? The religious leaders, that, the Sad Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're going, hey, listen, our whole life surrounds having uh, influence and power, and this guy's starting to get some of that, and that's not okay with us. So they're trying to trick him. They're trying to get him to kind of accuse himself by something that he says. And so they're coming in and they're asking him these questions and they're getting into this debate. So something really interesting happens as they're trying to debate with him. Uh, the story kind of takes a turn because a, a scribe comes in who doesn't seem to be somebody who's a part of these other groups. 
a scribe or uh, a teacher of the law. I'm using that, those words together, the same thing. So this person who spent their whole life teaching the law and scribing out what the law means for people. This other guy approaches Jesus. And he seems to approach in a completely different way. And he overhears the conversation. And then this is where we pick up the story in Mark 12, starting in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law, or scribe, came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, so he liked what Jesus said back to one of the Sadducees. Notice that Jesus gave a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds something here. Is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered with even more wisdom, he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So let me point out just a few things here. So in verse 28, the scribe says, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? Does anybody know how many commandments the first century Jews were expected to live out perfectly? Some of you maybe know this. Anybody know? 600 and close, 613. 613 commandments. We'll give it to you. Uh, So it's not just those 10 that we know about, right? It's 613 commandments. There were 365 prohibitions, one for every single day, but you had to not do any of those things every day, so it doesn't matter. And then there was 248 positive commandments. So you're supposed to not do 365 things, and you need to do 248 things. And the scribes and the teachers of the law, their job was to figure out which ones were light and which ones were heavy, okay? So the light commandments were the ones that weren't that important. Apparently, they decided that. And then the heavy ones were the ones that were like, you really need, this is important. We really need to make sure we do these things. And then their job was to take all 613 of those things and make rules, like more rules, to help people make sure that they lived out every single law and obeyed to a T every minute detail in every possible situation. I have no idea who signs up for that job, but this is what these people did. Like, they've got to figure out how to make sure that in every conceivable situation, people are following the rules. So you can kind of see why this guy's like, okay, listen, but which one's the most important, right? Because this is a lot. And Jesus gives the two commands. The first one you heard... uh, just that Jesus expressed, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. We just read that for Harvey's dedication. It's from Deuteronomy 6. It's actually part of a prayer and a passage of scripture that is written and spoken all the time by these first century Jews. It is considered one of the most important things. It's called the Shema, which means to listen in Hebrew. It's so important. So that wouldn't have been surprising at all. That is always, always number one. But then Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And this too is already in the laws. It's in Leviticus 19, okay? But Jesus bringing these two together here is doing something really unique. And then he follows up by saying, there's no commandments greater than these. And in the Matthew version, he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Or like 
all of those commandments, all those rules actually are able to be summed up by these two things. And the response of the scribe is interesting because he, he repeats what Jesus says and he actually changes it a tiny bit, which nobody knows totally why. He repeats it a little bit differently. But then he adds something. He adds to the end that you should love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when we hear this, we might just kind of skim over it, but this is a huge deal. This guy's whole job is to make sure that people are bringing their burnt offerings and sacrifices. That was the economy of the, what they did. They needed people to bring their financial gifts and their sacrifices and these things so that they could continue to have power and authority and to take control of what people are doing. So this is showing a sign of uh, somebody whose heart is shifting and changing compared to the culture. Sometimes we talk about here at Mill City uh, what it means to be a part of God's kingdom versus the little kingdoms of the world. This leader is showing evidence that God's kingdom is reigning in his heart and not the little kingdoms that are about power and money and authority. It's a big deal that he says, God is interested in how we love him and love each other before he's interested in our religiosity. That's a big thing for him being able to say. And Jesus affirms him and says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And this man, he's seeing something so important in this moment. He is seeing a kingdom reality. He is saying that these two commands are actually one. Most scholars would say this is the great commandment, not commandments, are these two things together, love God and love neighbor. They're actually two sides of the same coin. You can't separate them. In order to love God, you need to have the action of loving your neighbor. And you cannot truly love your neighbor without the mutual love relationship you have with God because it's that love that's going to overflow from God onto the people around you. These two commandments cannot be separated. They're crucial. They are intertwined. And no amount of religiosity, burnt offerings or sacrifices, no amount of showing up at things or checking the boxes of what it means to be church, no amount of self-righteous piety can replace the willingness to love and love deeply both God and neighbor. They go together. There is no ability to pay some sort of, I don't know, like spiritual dues to be able to skip the neighbor part. It's a little bit tempting sometimes because it's hard. Every one of our neighbors, from the ones that you think are the most interesting to the ones you think are the most annoying, are made in God's image. Everyone from the one you think is the, the most intimidating to the ones that you feel the most are most approachable are loved by God just as much as God loves you. And to love our neighbors is not passive. To love our neighbors is not passive. It doesn't mean that we just kind of try to leave well enough alone and figure if I leave them alone, they're going to leave me alone and we're all going to kind of coexist in this space and leave each other alone. That is not loving your neighbor. That is tolerating their parallel existence to yours. It's different. We don't have to actively love every single neighbor. That's not possible. We can't do that in every, every everyone can't do that for everybody you live by, everybody you work with, everyone who's at the coffee shop. I mean, that's not possible. You can't love every single uh, neighbor that sits with you at the soccer games, the other parents of your kids' friends. Like, that's not possible. Not every single one. But what we do need to do is to take the great commandment seriously and ask God, what is our next step? What is the next way you want me to grow in the art of neighboring? Who's the next person? And maybe for those of you who would say, well, I'm a little bit more introverted, that's okay, but it's just one person maybe that God's saying is next. Sometimes us extroverted people get in over our heads, don't we? 
God wasn't actually asking us to make friends with all those people. That's another sermon. We can work on that later. But who are the people that God's calling you to? The, the greatest command, if this is the greatest command in which all the other things that God hopes for us hinges on, if that's really true, then we must figure out how to make this a priority. We are busy. We have a lot going on. We're looking forward to summer or we're dreading it. There's so much happening in our lives. But we must make this a priority because this is the greatest command. The greatest command, I would just say, has to mean the greatest priority. Loving God and other people. In the midst of all the things that demand our life and our time, what is the one next step for you? What is the one next step for me? This is why we'll never be done talking about this as a community at Mill City, because it's not something we've completed. It's something that we continue to grow in. The authors of this book, uh, the, the Art of Neighboring, they bring up a few things that happen. If we don't take Jesus seriously here, there are a few things. They bring out three things that can happen almost all the time if we don't practice the Art of Neighboring. They say isolation, fear, and misunderstanding become dominant in our neighborhoods. Isolation, fear, misunderstanding. People feel alone. People feel afraid. People feel misunderstood. And guess what? They're misunderstanding other people too, aren't they? I bet you feel misunderstood a lot in the places you live and work and play. Can you imagine, just try to imagine with me, if every person who professes Jesus as their leader were to take this commandment seriously, how different the climate in our country would be right now. Just think about what it would be like if people tried to get to know each other even when they, were, they knew they were super different. If people didn't have to feel so alone in their burdens. If people didn't need to feel afraid to engage with people that they might disagree with. If we, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, were to take him seriously here and say, our main priority in the midst of all that's happening in our lives is to love God and love neighbor. Of all the things we need to teach to our kids is to love God and love neighbor. Of all the things that we need to figure out how to do, the vacation schedules and all the different things going on this summer, if one of the main things we focused on was growing in loving God and neighbor together as activities that go together. Love is actively seeking the good of your neighbor. Let me just mention kind of three levels of this uh, way we love our neighbor. You're going to recognize these if you've been around Mill City for a while. There's kind of three ways that we take this command seriously, okay? The first is the macro level, the mid-level, and then the micro level, okay? So this will make sense to you, I think. So the macro level... How do we love our neighbors in the name of Jesus in the macro level? This is how the national and international systems of the world that keep people oppressed or set people free. We want to participate in that. We want to say we're for the ones that set people free, not for the ones that keep people oppressed. That's how we participate with loving our neighbor and loving God at the macro level. There's a lot of different ways that we do that. It looks like participating and advocating for provision for people, like we do in the Sheridan story. It looks like participating and, act and actively stepping into justice and mercy and truth and love. It's why we had a conversation a couple weeks ago that the Action and Awareness uh, missional community hosted talking about the issue of race, right? In our country, this is something that at the macro level we need to engage with so we can love our neighbors. The next level would be the mid-level, that's the local community, the various forms of, of our local community, politics, civil or civic organizations, um, local kind of humanitarian services, other churches. We connect with other churches, schools, community groups, things like that. Loving our neighbor at the mid-level 
looks like engaging in what happens in the wider community. So not just right where you live or right where you work, but just a little bit bigger than that. The role that you play, which everybody's role is different, to pursue the common good for the people in our wider community. We all have a calling towards that in some way. This is the work that most of our missional communities are focused on. They're focused on this mid-level, loving our neighbors together thing. It's a lot easier to do it with other people than by yourself, most of us in missional communities have found out. And that's why those are so important to what group life is like here at Mill City. And so then here we're talking about uh, the, what it means to love our neighbor at the micro level. This whole time I've been talking about the micro level more specifically. About how you love the people, as I gave the definition, who you spend most of your time around. Specifically the people where you live or work or learn or recreate. Okay? We're taking these few weeks to talk about the micro level. Because if we only look at the macro level or the mid-level and skip the micro level, there's something really disingenuous about that, isn't there? There's something that lacks integrity if we skip over some of these things. Some people love the macro level because they never have to talk to anybody or maybe even see with their own eyes the problems that they're advocating for. So what does it look like to engage with what God's inviting you to do at all three of those levels? At the macro level, the mid-level, and at the micro level. So we're stepping into what it means at the micro level for the rest of these next few weeks. Because we all have really different neighborhoods that we live in. Some of you live in the suburbs, in the city, in townhouses, in apartment buildings, in dorms. It's very different where all of us live. And you all, I think you know this, have very different personalities. You have very different skills. You have very different ways that God's designed you. And that's okay. It means that God's invitation in the art of neighboring is going to be different for you than the person that's sitting next to you. But it also means you can do that with them. We are going to be able to do this together. And I think we can do this in a way that would be a lot of fun. So are we okay with having fun here? Two. Okay. So this is a challenge, but it's also fun. My, this is what I'm proposing to you, is that it can also be really fun. Uh, we, we are, all of us, going to try to push in past our comfort zone. But everybody's comfort zone is different, isn't it? So what we're going to do is we're going to say, okay, well, here's my comfort zone. And we're just going to let God lead us a little bit further. And if God asks you to do something way big, cool, but the expectation is we're all going to try to just do a little bit further than our comfort zone, and we're going to try to have fun. So there's a few things we're going to do over this next month. The first thing is, uh, in a few minutes, we're going to have a time of communion and a time of prayer for people, and you're also going to have a chance to grab one of these magnets, and I have a slide of it up there, I think, Cody. Um, And this little magnet can go on your fridge, and there's some stickers on the back. And there's two things. First is uh, neighborhood bingo, Okay. Neighborhood bingo. And so this is something that you can take the summer to do. And if you can put a sticker on every one of the neighborhood bingo, somebody's like, that's not how you play bingo, but I think sometimes you do fill the whole card. I don't know. But if you fill the whole bingo card, you're going to get a prize, okay? And from what I know, we've never had a prize for a sermon series before. Does anybody remember there being a prize? Okay, this is the first time. You can win a prize. If you fill your neighborhood bingo, then you get a Mill City Flamingo. It's got Mill City right in the place where it counts. A sticker. Okay? So you can get a flamingo. Now, this flamingo, um, beautiful, does, comes with no strings attached. That was embarrassing for the flamingo. Um, this, this flamingo comes with no strings attached. Everybody who fills up their bingo card will get one. However... I have heard from um, Robin Jesme and Stacey May that there is something called Flamingo Friday. Has anybody heard of Flamingo Friday? 
Yeah, we got a couple people that know. Apparently, Flamingo Friday is something that neighbors sometimes decide to do, and they use hopefully both legs, and they put the flamingo in their yard, and that means on Friday night, they're the one hosting, like, happy hour, or kids come play in their yard time. Uh, people bring food or snacks or something like that. And then at that Friday night, somebody else takes the flamingo and puts it in their yard, and everybody knows, well, that's the place we can go on Friday night. Now, you don't have to do that if you win a flamingo, but that's kind of a cool idea. Flamingofriday.com. It's actually a thing. I didn't know that. So you can win a flamingo. There's a whole box of them. We'll get more if we need to. So you, just, you, you can just take a picture of this, or we'll take you at your word. Be like, I have earned a flamingo because of the bingo. See what we're doing there? And you can get one. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, and oh, and on here, there's a lot of different things you can read about what they are, but they're, they're supposed to be things that are actionable that we can really do. So one of them is uh, kind of a hallmark in our community is talking about hanging out in your yard in the spot where you're going to see the most neighbors. So some of you, that's your backyard. Some of you, that's your front yard. But we sometimes just naturally go to the more private space. And so these chairs have come to rep- recognize in our community as what it means to sit in your front yard or to sit in the spot where people pass you by more frequently. So if you live in an apartment building, that might be a community room or a barbecue that's out back. I don't know. But th- what is it for you, the place where you might put yourself in the line of traffic to actually meet some people? That's what these kinds of things say. And if you want to try to give this a go, um, it's kind of designed for where you live. But if you want to give it a go in your workplace, totally do that. That's awesome. You can definitely make that happen. Um, It also has a spot where you can write down your neighbor's names. So if you're like me, you need to write them down or you will forget them. And so here's a spot to fill out your neighbor's names. And towards the end of this conversation, we're going to take these canvases and we're going to have an opportunity for us to fill up the canvas with the first names of our neighbors. Just to offer to God these people and say, God... We've met them, we know their names, maybe we'll get some of their stories, and maybe some of them will become friends. But we're offering who they are to God by doing that. So keep those names in mind, and in a few weeks you'll be able to fill that out. And then um, there's going to be the class that was mentioned. So this is going to be an online class, okay? Online, it's going to be really cool. And you can join me, and we're going to just jump online for an hour for four weeks, and we're just going to hold each other accountable to what it looks like to do this. We're going to get that book and we're going to talk through it. You don't even have to read all of it. I'll sum it up. And we're going to just say, hey, what would it look like to have some accountability to try to do some of this stuff? Cool. And then, um, yeah, I think that's all the things. Yeah, great. The band can come back up. And uh, I just want to finish by sharing with you a story that I was thinking about when we were planning this and thinking about this. I thought about how, um, gosh, seven or eight years ago, we started Mill City Church and I moved here to northeast Minneapolis. And when I moved here, I thought, oh man, the same feelings I have right now. All these new people, I'm trying to meet these new people at Mill City Church, I'm trying to meet these new people on Adam Street, and it's so challenging to do that. And some of you know that I'm a really extroverted person, but if I was really honest, I don't actually like meeting total strangers. That's not something I love. And people are sometimes shocked by that. But I realize that it's really hard, and it's really challenging. And so, when I think about Mill City and the fact that this is what we're about— loving our community in the name of Jesus. You know, years ago when we came here, it's still the same thing today. That basically means love your neighbor in Jesus' name. That's what we're doing at the macro level, the mid-level, and the micro level. We talk about that all the time. Why? Because that's our mission. That's why God called us here. That's why I moved here. And even though I'm meeting all these new neighbors in Marshall Terrace and I genuinely feel like overwhelmed by that reality, I have a different way of going about it this time because I know what can happen from even a few short years, eight years of living over here on Adam Street, I know what can happen when you invest in relationships and you get names that become stories and some of those people become friends. 
I have seen some amazing things happen when I let God push me past my comfort zone, even just a little bit. I remember thinking about, I thought about these, these last seven years living there and all these things that happened. And God led me into some of these relationships where I heard people's stories and they were some of the most different people than me than I had ever come across in my whole life. I had conversations about spirituality and about God and about why I was a Christian. You guys, way more than I ever thought that I would. And they seemed less weird talking to me about that than some other Christians do. It was the weirdest thing. And I prayed for a lot of neighbors, sometimes even got to pray with them in person after some crazy things happened in their life. I experienced praying in just those few years with three different neighbors to surrender to Jesus in their life. Never thought that would happen in the ways with those specific people, but they did. I didn't do this alone. I didn't express the love of Jesus alone. I had some roommates I was living with at the time, and I got some of my other neighbors who I found out were Christians involved, and we had a missional community who were figuring out how to do that together. And so even though, though this new challenge of living in this new neighborhood can feel a little bit overwhelming to me now, I have a new sense of confidence because I know that when Jesus said we we're supposed to love our actual neighbors, he meant it because I see the kingdom reality that comes when we do that, even in little ways. Some of those relationships I made on Adam Street, I'm going to have for the rest of my life. There were two people that flew back here from California for our wedding because we met on Adam Street. That's nuts. Just a few years ago. So we're going to celebrate communion, and I, I, I love that we're going to continue to do this every week together because it's so important. And today, what's so beautiful about doing this is that when these, when these followers of Jesus gathered with him, he said to them in this last meal, you used to be servants, but now you are friends. And Jesus has invited us into a friendship with him and this is what the art of neighboring is all about, is expressing that friendship to the people around us. Having a chance to show them, tell them, experience with them what it means to know that Jesus doesn't call you servant, doesn't call you stranger, but calls you friend. And so Jesus wanted us to remember by eating this bread and drinking from this cup that he did what was necessary, everything necessary to, to keep us from being separated from God that we could be in that love relationship with God, that, that Jesus on the cross conquered sin and death and brokenness and fear, all of those things, the isolation, Jesus conquered that so we could live in freedom and truth and, and knowing that we don't have to be afraid and we can live that out with other people. So as we take communion today, we remember that Jesus has done what it takes for us to be connected in loving relationship with God and a loving relationship with each other, with our neighbors, at all of those levels. So you can come through and you can take the bread, dip it into the cup, and then uh, there'll be some people here on the walls that'll be willing to pray for you, our prayer team members. So just, uh, you can ask them to pray for you, for one of your neighbors, for anything, or just ask them to pray and they will figure it out. And you can also grab a magnet on your way. Anybody who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to participate in communion here at Mill City. You don't have to be a member of this church where we can come together and say in unity, we are people who are friends with Jesus. And that's no small thing. Let me pray. God, we pray your kingdom come. We pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray that you would fill us, fill our hearts, our minds, our lives with your love so that it will overflow out of us onto the people around us, onto our neighbors. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.